Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jenikin. Take it away, Des. Oh, uh, so we do a Patreon. You can uh, join Patreon and subscribe to our bonus content as well as our ad-free episodes. If you don't want to get that blast of ad, that's always <laughs> way too loud, according to everyone. Uh, <laughs> I have a solution. I don't know what to tell you. I have a solution for you. You could join our Patreon uh, and you can get those episodes ad-free. A lot of people joined us this month on that subscription uh, service, (laughs) which Rachel now knows is very easy to have just added to your um, app that you listen to podcasts on. It's one click of a button, right, Rachel? It's very easy. I could do it. Uh, So yeah, just just putting it out there. So this, this week we had Anna, Ellen, Lynette, Christina, Sarah, Tiffany, Deanna, Angela, Nickelcast, Gersey, Kirsten, Jason, Debbie, Sarah, Brandy, Nicole, Lovina, Melanie, and Ashley. Thank you all. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. All right, Des. One part episode. Yes. Finally. Finally. But it's a good one. This okay. Is, uh, this is a story of rattlesnack. <laughs> <laughs> the rattlesnack. <laughs> Off to a great start. This is the story of Rattlesnake James. Oh. Let's begin. (laughs) My sources for this episode was a lot of old newspaper articles. Mm -hmm. On the evening of Monday, August 5th, 1935, 38-year-old Robert James and his two friends, a married couple named James and Viola Pemberton, arrived at Robert's home in La Crescenta. Robert had invited his friends to his home for dinner, where the three of them expected to be greeted by Robert's 27-year-old wife, Mary. When they got inside, Mary was nowhere to be found. The two men grabbed some flashlights and started searching around the outside of the house, including the garden area. It was there in the garden where they made a grim discovery. Lying face down in a fish pond was the body of Mary James. (sighs) Officers arrived at the James home on 1329 Verdugo Road. Wait, is it Verdugo? It's Verdugo. Where is this? I wrote, it's in La Crescenta. Oh, that's Verdugo. Okay, well, I wrote Verdugo. Well, you're wrong. (laughs) They arrived at 1329 Verdugo Road and initially surmised that this was an accidental death, that Mary had suffered some kind of injury and fallen face first into the pond. Officers noticed lumps and bruising on the top of her head. Hmm. At the scene, police noticed a sign pinned to the front door of the home that read, 5 p.m., why don't you stay home sometime? Hope Mary is feeling better, Ethel. 
Ethel was one of Robert's nieces. Robert informed the officers that his wife was prone to fainting spells. Perhaps she had fainted and fallen into the pond. Inside the home was an unfinished letter written by Mary addressed to her sister that read, Lots of bad luck. My leg is swollen. Something bit me this morning, and I cut my toe yesterday. Why are they always leaving each other notes? (laughs) (laughs) These people left a lot of notes. I mean, that's good for investigators. Right. And and especially the note that Ethel left on the front door because it was dated 5 p.m. Yeah. I mean, that's very specific, right? Mary's body was sent out to the medical examiner and Robert was taken down to the station to be interviewed by police. Robert told the police that the last time he saw Mary was early that morning between 7 a.m. and 7.45 a.m. when he left their house. He didn't return until that evening with his friends where they were going to have dinner. During the interview, they learned that Robert had only been married to his wife for a few months. He met Mary at the barber shop that he owned downtown when he hired her as a manicurist. Robert said that him and his wife were expecting. The autopsy would later confirm that Mary had been six weeks pregnant at the time of her death. (gasps) But detectives soon learned that Robert James had lied about how long he'd been married to his wife. He had claimed they'd been married for three months, but in reality, they'd actually only been married for three weeks. Whoa. Then they decided to dig into his past. Robert James was born Major Raymond Lisbana. Huh? I think, I really think, I know he was in the army at one point, but everywhere I read that his, like he was born, like his first name was Major. Oh, okay. I don't know. That could be wrong. Look... (laughs) His real name, or he was born Major Raymond Lisbena. He changed it to Robert James. He was born in Birmingham, Alabama. Robert married his first wife, Maud Duncan, in Birmingham, Alabama, when they were both pretty young. They divorced in 1919. Later, in 1930, Robert married again to a woman named Vera Mae Vermillion. That marriage only lasted a few months. In 1932, Robert relocated to Los Angeles with his then 17-year-old niece, Lois. He opened up his barbershop downtown on 8th and Olive and employed Lois as a manicurist. So he has two nieces, Ethel and Lois. Okay. That same year, he met and married Winona Wallace, which was his third wife. He loves love. (laughs) He really does. While on their honeymoon, Robert and Winona were driving through Colorado at a place called Pikes Peak when their car careened off the side of a cliff. Whoa. This is on his honeymoon. This happens. That's what happens when you go to Pikes Peak. (laughs) It sounds dangerous. (laughs) Robert's injuries were minor, but Winona suffered a fractured skull and was hospitalized. Oh my gosh. Three weeks later, she was found dead in a bathtub in a cottage in Manitou, Colorado. The medical examiner ruled her death accidental, most likely caused by passing out in the tub due to her recent head injury. Wow. So this is a pretty unfortunate situation. Yeah. Robert collected $14,000 on her life insurance policy. In 1934, Robert married his fourth wife, Ruth Thomas, in New Orleans, But that marriage wound up being annulled. According to Robert, quote, she said I was married to her, but I don't know. I was drunk. It happens. Robert then married his fifth wife, Mary, in 1935. Three weeks later, she was dead. 
The medical examiner in Mary's case, Dr. Wagner, found a bite mark on Mary's foot and a bite mark on her calf that he believed to have been caused by a poisonous insect or a poisonous spider, possibly a black widow. Her leg had also become swollen because of this. He concluded that her death was caused by accidental drowning, but that the insect bites were a contributory factor. He said, quote, It is my belief that Mrs. James was seized by a fainting spell and she stood beside the fish pond and that she fell into the water with a swoon. I found considerable water in the lungs, but there was no evidence of disease or any kind of poison or other foreign matter in the vital lungs. So he said, basically, she was walking out in the garden. She gets bit by something and faints. Do people faint more back then? (laughs) Doesn't it just seem like people fainted more? Not that I'm saying that's what happened to her. Yeah. But it's like, it's, she said, they said that she was known to faint. Fainting spells. Yeah. People were having a lot of spells back then. Absolutely. Like you could have all kinds of spells. It just makes it easy, I think, to murder. Because you're like, oh, she's always fainting. She fell and hit her head. Or like, right. It's, it's still- like, it seems like the women who've been murdered, like fainting is part of their like lifestyle yeah. and they've been they've used that against them and this is even post corset yeah but people were still oh right yeah but yeah but people yeah. were still fainting back Absolutely. then in the 1930s i think people stopped fainting by the 50s yeah i mean i've worn too tight pantyhose and i've been like <laughs> i'm going to faint <laughs> so, honestly i'm going to faint right now if our food doesn't get here <laughs> So we're um, no, we're not judging. I'm, we are these women. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Even though the official cause of death was ruled accidental, in light of his marriage history, detectives continued to investigate Robert James. Yeah. They're like five times. Come on. Come on, dude. You're not that hot. What's going on here? <laughs> what followed next was a court battle between Robert and the insurance company with which his deceased wife Mary was insured. The Occidental Life Insurance Company asserted that Mary had made false claims on her policy and it should be voided. The company discovered that Mary had taken out a policy before they were married and falsely claimed to be the wife of Robert James. They also accused Mary of lying about her health. Viola Pemberton, who was the friend of the Jameses who was at the house that night, she testified in court that Mary had never been ill to her knowledge. A former neighbor of Mary's, who was a nurse, testified that in 1934, Mary had complained of stomach problems, which, look, I don't think that means that you have ailments if you had a stomach ache in 1934 once. Maybe you just had some rotten mutton. (laughs) Yeah, like you could have just had diarrhea one night and the nurse was like, this person's a sicko. Yeah, they've got issues. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just because you shit on them. One time. They're mad. (laughs) One time it happened, and they're angry about it. Robert testified that him and Mary had wed in an informal ceremony at a beer hall in May of 1935 before they got legally married a few months later. So as I said earlier, he had told the police they'd been married for a few months when they'd actually only been legally married a few weeks. But when you're doing the insurance paperwork, you have to do the legal date. And they didn't do that. Yeah, Mary... Filed this paperwork when they had this like funzy marriage. Yeah. If she filed it at all. Right. (laughs) 
Robert talked about this little like makeshift ceremony they had in the bar that night. He said that he paid a guy that he met there $10 to perform the ceremony. Yeah. And then he never saw him again. Sounds shady. (laughs) When questioned about his previous marriage, Robert said, I don't know. I've been married five times and I don't recall the details of any of them. You expect me to keep it straight? These marriages lasted two weeks each. (laughs) He literally said, I think her name was Ruth. I mean, it kind of, I kind of believe it. Yeah. That that's how little any of these women meant to him. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's like, she, yeah, I married her. Yeah. I marriage marry means a lot nothing of to me. I, I really marry a lot of yeah. people. You're going to And I've to... had many informal ceremonies that aren't even on the record. <laughs> he probably was married a lot more times yeah. than they ever discovered. Because they didn't have any paper trail back then. No. Where you could check out the other courthouses. Right. When questioned about, oh, sorry, I just said that. Robert's lawyer then interjected, it was one of those gin marriages, your honor. Gin? Like a gin marriage. Where like you're, you're drunk? You're drunk. Yeah. So he's trying to like defend his client. Like, hey, yeah. look, they were drunk. They were drunk. You cut them a break. This doesn't count. Come on. Yeah, come on. <laughs> We've we, all been there. <laughs> it, it happens to all of us when we get drunk in New Orleans. We get yeah. married to someone named Ruth. Yeah. The following year, in March of 1936, Robert James was arrested near his barber shop after he was accused of assaulting a woman. <gasps> Rose Hunter told police that Robert approached her and said, how'd you like to go to a dance? She responded by slapping him. I mean, that seems a little extreme. <laughs> <laughs> That's honestly a hilarious response. <laughs> she didn't really say anything. She just slapped him. And is that what she said he said? Or is that what he said he that's, said? That's what he, she said. That, that That's all he said. So she didn't even try to make it worse. No, he's, yeah. He said to her, hey, how'd you like to go to a dance? And she just slapped him. Wow. He didn't like that. He responded by hitting her on the back and then oh, pushing her in the street. Well, then that, he crossed the line he there. He did cross the line. <laughs> yeah. He was released on bail pending an arraignment set for the following week. A month later, the insurance company declared that the policy taken out on Mary James was void. To make matters worse for Robert, he had no idea that while this battle with the insurance company was going on, he was being shadowed by detectives and they had bugged his house. (gasps) Ooh. Detectives had been following Robert for months in an attempt to find any information about Mary's suspicious death. Detectives had planted dictographs in Robert's... <laughs> it's a real word. I to see what his dick was up to. <laughs> he was putting it anywhere he shouldn't be. <laughs> it was a dictograph. It's a scientific dick machine. <laughs> they planted dictographs. It's like a recording device okay. from the 30s. Yeah. Oh, like a dictaphone. Like is a that dic- a thing? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, that is what it is. Okay. They planted these recording devices... He, it sounds like Robert had two houses because he also had a bungalow in Lamert Park. Nice. And um, he would like stay there sometimes. So he like had a place in La Crescenta, but he also had this little bungalow in Lamert Park. So they planted these recording devices and spent two weeks listening in. According to the Los Angeles Times, the officers snuck into the bungalow to install microphones in the bedroom and living room, and then they camped out in the bungalow next door for two weeks where they had their recording device recording devices that were connected by these concealed wires that ran to the microphones. 
Is this legal? I don't think this sounds <laughs> this seems really, really illegal. illegal. This is like really not bad. that I'm defending anyone here, but that can't be legal. Uh, this seems so shady. Like the cops were in the newspaper articles were sort of bragging about how they did this operation. They're like, yeah, we even put soap. We put soap on the door frame and on the window frame so we could go in and out easily without being detected. Like the, yeah. it wouldn't make a so noise. So they're definitely breaking into his house. They're yeah. breaking into this dude's house on a hunch. Yeah. It's not like they're getting someone who lives with him, sorry, to like plant things or record things. No. Yeah. They're just breaking into dude's house and then renting the bungalow next door. Also, this seems like a very elaborate setup because it's the 30s. So they literally, it's just all these wires they have to run between the two houses. Right. And put like things like a little rug over them. Yeah. <laughs> so no notices. I mean, they like had microphones hidden in the cabinets in the kitchen. Like God forbid he goes for a can of beans. Yeah. Because he seems like he eats a lot of beans. He just wants to eat a can of beans when he gets home after a long day at the shop. Barbershop. <laughs> he doesn't want to cook. No. He just opens it up. He opens it up and eats it out with of the, the can. T- with the tin still hanging, hanging off, the, off side. the side. With the fork. We've dug- seen things from the 30s. We know how that's, it's done. That's what they ate. If they sometimes you heat up the the whole can over a over a campfire. Yeah, it's, you get that can taste in there. Yeah, that's a, the, you got to use something to hold the can though, like a, uh, those tongs. I bet you I'd pick it right up and I be like, too. ah. <laughs> I literally like. I feel like I did that recently with a pan. Oh, I, you did. I remember. Oh, God, I did. <laughs> you did. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. I did though, but I did. Okay. I did. Yeah. Okay. So they're listening in, and while trying to catch Robert confessing to murdering his wife, they were shocked to discover him engaging in a completely different crime: fucking his niece. Yes. <laughs> How did you guess? Because the minute I saw that his niece came with him, I'm like, oh, they're fucking. And then I was like, Desi, not everyone fucks their uh, uncle nieces. <laughs> Grand killed children don't always go there first. So I was already, I already was suspicious, but I tried to not say it because I was like, I can't always think that. Well, it's true. Damn it. He's a niece fucker. Damn. Ethel or Lois? The, Lois. Okay. The one who was working at the barbershop. Okay. Okay. In April of 1936, Robert was arrested on a morals charge. Wow. So this is a charge of being icky. Was she, how old was she? 21. Oh, so it's just the fact that it's the niece, not that she was underage. No. Okay. And they're like, that's gross, dude. You're coming down to the station. That's your fucking niece. That's gross. You get a morals charge. (laughs) (laughs) He had been fucking his 21-year-old niece, Lois. Detectives had collected 200 phonographic records of audio tape depicting lewd encounters between Robert and Lois at his bungalow. So that's why he got the bungalow. I Probably, think so. Yeah. I think because it was also closer to his work, the downtown shop, yeah. than La Crescenta. Yeah. So he gets this fuck pad. Absolutely. For him and the niece. So it's, you know, and this relationship has been going on for three years. Do they have, so the, do we have transcripts of what they were saying? I searched, believe okay. me. <laughs> but the, I think they were too disgusting to even print in the paper. I mean, not if I'm running the paper. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's like, I think it's wild that detectives, it took them two weeks to collect this evidence. I feel like they only would have had to be there like a day for them to collect this evidence. Right. Like they, It's not like it all happened at the, the last day. They were just probably really horny listening to it. 
Yeah. They're like, we got to make sure. Got to make one double, more day. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Like Detective um, John is like, I don't know if that's uh, admissible in court. <laughs> maybe, get- maybe he's just slurping the beans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta be more specific. (laughs) So they also had a stenographer, this poor woman who had to sit there. Of course, it's a woman's job that she has to sit there. They had to. They brought this woman who recorded two hundred and seventy pages of the audio, so she had to dictate everything. How do you spell? (laughs) (laughs) Loud groaning. Police busted into Robert's bungalow where they found him and Lois in the bedroom. They were only in their pajamas. Robert didn't know they were, you know, they were plainclothes officers. Right. They just busted in from next door and he goes, hey, what is this, a stick up? What's the big idea? (laughs) You never fuck your niece? (laughs) Well, (laughs) God, why is he this way? He's a mess, Desi. Lois was mortified by this situation. But Robert was a lot more casual. He he didn't mind that they just found out that he's been fucking his niece. And he says, well, what of it? It's all right with me. I approve of my fucking. <laughs> Detectives learned that Robert and Lois had been engaging in a sexual relationship for the past four years, since she was 17 years Ooh. old. The relationship was thought to have begun when the pair relocated to Los Angeles together yeah. in 1932. I mean, that was a long car ride from Alabama to, to L.A. They fell in love. They, they <laughs> fell in love on that car trip Yeah, and got horny. I knew it. Robert pled not guilty to three counts of misconduct. Lois was held as a material witness. The trial was set for the following month in May. But before the morals charge trial could even begin, a bombshell piece of evidence in Mary's death came out in the confession of a man named Charles Hope. Charles Hope was a cook at a Hermosa Beach cafe and a friend of Robert James. He asserted that he assisted Robert James in murdering his wife, Mary. (sighs) We're going to take a quick break. If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. 
With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. So this guy, Charles Hope confesses that he helped Robert James murder Mary James. What is he arrested for? He's not arrested. So he just comes in and confesses. Yes. I see. Okay. Charles met Robert several years back because he was a regular at his barber shop. So he like got his hair done. Okay. There. He told detectives that Robert had a hypnotic power over him. Oh, One day in the summer of 1935, Robert asked Charles to procure him some snakes. Was Charles a snake person? (laughs) I don't know, but he did know where to get them. Okay. So Charles purchased a rattlesnake from a shop in Venice owned by a guy named Mike Allman and his brother Jack. They, he bought these, he bought this snake from this place and he delivered them to Robert the snake turned out to be no good because it died a few days later. No good snake. <laughs> it was a no good snake. Charles set out to find some new snakes for Robert. He traveled to Pasadena where he purchased two rattlesnakes from a guy named Snake Joe. <laughs> Why was he called Snake Joe? Because <laughs> he sold snakes. Detectives interviewed Snake Joe, whose real name was Joseph C. Hotenbrink. At the time of the purchase, he operated a snake farm on Cypress Avenue in Pasadena. He told police that last summer a guy came in asking to purchase the two most vicious snakes that he owned. This is a quote from Snake Joe. He brought a rabbit and a rooster with him, and he wanted me to try my snakes out on them to find out how quickly they could kill them, but I told him I wouldn't do it. So he left the rooster and told me to cook it. So Charles left Snake Joe's snake farm with two diamondback rattlesnakes. But he returned to Snake Joe's farm a week later, claiming he didn't need the snakes anymore, and he wanted to return them. Joe said that Charles was with a woman who looked pretty frightened. This woman would later be identified as Charles's wife, Florence. So he goes to the snake farm alone. A week later, comes back. With his wife in tow. Yeah. The snake farm guy was like, I just assumed she didn't want to be traveling with a box of snakes. Yeah. Snake Joe also told police that the snake seller from Venice came by his farm, and during the course of their visit, they got to talking. And the Venice snake seller, Mike Allman, was like, hey, did a guy looking for some dangerous rattlesnakes come by here? And Joe was like, yeah, actually. <laughs> and he was weird. Did he try to buy snakes from you? And he's like, yeah. Did he leave a rooster? <laughs> Joe said he remembered all of this because the whole thing just seemed very suspicious. Like, 
this guy wants he all he cares about is getting the two most dangerous snakes possible. Yeah, I would imagine you can't even buy those kind of snakes today. Yeah, it seems like like dangerous. Do, do people even? I mean, do people own rattlesnakes? I mean, probably. Possibly, I don't like, know. Yeah, I don't know much about snake ownership. I don't either. Charles Hope continued telling police what happened after he purchased the snakes from Snake Joe. He said that on August 4th, he arrived at the La Crescenta home of Robert and Mary James, where he found Mary had been bound to the kitchen table with a rope. So he walks into his friend's house and he sees Mary James splayed out on the kitchen table and she's bound to it with rope. Her mouth and her eyes were covered with tape. Okay. And she's alive. Yeah. He then presented Robert with a box containing the two rattlesnakes that he had just bought. Oh, man. Robert then inserted Mary's foot into the box and waited for the snakes to Holy bite her. Holy shit. <laughs> Charles said that Robert sent him out to the garage with a bottle of whiskey to wait there until Mary was dead. According to Charles, Robert came out to the garage and told him that he had drowned Mary in the bathtub. Robert said, I drowned her, but the bathroom is a mess and I've got to clean it up. You wait here. So Charles has been waiting in his garage, getting shit faced on whiskey this whole time. And Charles and Robert's like, all right, my wife's finally dead, but I had to drown her. Yeah. The snake bite didn't work. You just hang out here. Cool your heels while I clean up the bathroom. After Robert had cleaned up, Charles went back inside the James house and saw Mary lying in the hallway. Her hair was wet, but she had been placed in clean, dry pajamas. The two men then carried her body out to the fish pond and placed her face down in the water. Charles said Robert ordered him to take Mary's wet clothes and the wet towels and blankets that had been used to clean up the bathroom and burn them. Charles burned everything but saved the blankets, which he then turned over to the police. Robert was grilled for six hours by detectives following these revelations. Now, mind you, he's, he's in jail at this point yeah. for the morals charge. The grilling ended with him confessing to murdering his wife, Mary. <gasps> Robert claimed that him and Charles discussed a number of ways in which they could kill Mary. Now, Robert's story is different than Charles' Charles's story. Right. He said that Charles was sort of the ringleader in this and sort of took charge and spearheaded this operation. Charles, uh, according to him, suggested a number of different ways to kill her, including staging a botched robbery and shooting her in the head. He also suggested poisoning her with a poisonous white powder that he claimed to be in possession of. He said that this powder could be easily administered through a scratch on the skin. At one point, Charles uh, produced a jar of Black Widow spiders and to Robert, he gave them to Robert. Mm. According to Robert, Charles told him, just throw them in the bed with Mary. And what's his incentive? The Split the insurance money? Yes. Okay. So uh, Robert was like disgusted by that idea. And he just threw the jar out. I mean, I'd much I, rather drown her than throw it. <laughs> like, throw, like seriously. I don't know why he thought that was so... I, maybe he just thought it was like um, a stupid idea. Yeah. They just throw this jar of spiders in, in the bed with her. That would, that's like my worst nightmare. Oh, totally. I don't, I don't want that. Finally, the pair decided on killing Mary with rattlesnakes. Robert claimed that it was Charles who stuck Mary's foot in the snake-filled box while he was at work. 
He told police that Charles arrived at the James home posing as an abortion doctor to perform a procedure on Mary. (laughs) He was like, my wife wanted an abortion, so I had Charles come over and pose as a doctor to administer uh, a technique to to abort the fetus. Right. And... Um, and, and that's how we did that. He then said he left for work while Charles stayed behind with his wife. Later, Robert returned home to find Mary still alive and very drunk. She dearly loved liquor, Robert said of his wife. Charles was also drunk, and he told Robert that the snake bites had failed to kill Mary. Robert returned to work the next morning, and Charles stayed behind, vowing to finish the job. At 1 p.m., Charles met Robert at the barbershop downtown and said, It's done. I drowned her in the bathtub. And Robert was like, You idiot. I've already had a wife drown in the bathtub before. <laughs> Gotta mix it up. Yeah. He, he's saying, he was like, I thought that was a, a terrible idea. Yeah. I don't, I don't look, now I look like I have an MO. <laughs> right. This is a pattern. Yeah. The Los Angeles Times described Robert as he told his version of events. The 38-year-old barber, his green eyes rimmed with the red of sleeplessness, droned on in his high-pitched nasal twang for three hours in the police of the district in the office of the district attorney. His pasty face was perhaps a little pastier. Uh, this is a classic example of newspaper articles from this era in which they really dunk on the looks of, yeah. of whoever they're talking about. They called him a chalk face at one point because he <laughs> he was so pale. Uh, he had bright red hair and, and green eyes. That's Ch- what they would say about me. <laughs> That's what they would say about you, Desi. They'd call me chalk face. Old chalk face lumbered in. <laughs> <laughs> Charles and Robert were taken together in handcuffs down to the Venice snake shop to be identified by the owners, the two brothers, Mike and Jack Allman. The brothers said that Charles and Robert were shopping for the snakes together. He's like, we saw both both of them here. Hmm. It wasn't just Charles. They told detectives that Charles and Robert came into their shop last July looking for poisonous snakes and that the two of them were bickering. They left that day with no snakes, but a week later, Charles returned by himself and purchased a Pacific Coast rattlesnake for $8. What a bunch of losers. Like just these two guys trying to buy snakes. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> just beyond, I know the murders like separate. Yeah, no, but just like two guys together going to buy snakes at the Almond Brothers Snake Shop. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> Mary James body was then exhumed to be re-examined following the rattlesnake revelations. Doctor Wagner said. Quote, I am positive that this woman was the victim of a bite by a poisonous snake. The medical examiner's office also found traces of snake ven- venom where Mary had been bitten. Dr. Bohm, who was assisting Dr. Wagner in the medical examiner's office, stated that the location of the bites, her toe and her calf, were not areas where there are large blood vessels, and so it would have taken her a longer time to die from the bites than these killers anticipated. Oh, So that's why she didn't die from the bites. They were like, it's taking, it's taking too long. But if they had put it somewhere else, uh, it yeah. would have been faster. Or if they just waited a few days. Yeah. I don't know, but she probably would have like gone to the hospital at that point. 
Meanwhile, Robert's niece Lois revealed to investigators that her uncle had tried to take out a life insurance policy on her, (gasps) making himself the sole beneficiary. Lois also brought up the death of her brother, Cornelius, who was killed in a car crash in Marin County. (gasps) She claimed that their mother received a telegram announcing her brother's death two weeks before it even happened. Oh, shit. She's like, that's suspicious. Then now I think something weird happened. You can't get one past Lois. <laughs> she's she's spent a lot of time with her uncle. Yeah. In the past four years. Absolutely. A lot. Lois then told police about the mysterious death of her fiance. Uh-oh. A guy named Cecil Allen, who was killed the previous year in an aviation accident. So she was engaged while she was fucking her uncle? Yes. Okay. I bet that made... Uncle Robert Mad. I'm yeah. I mean, he probably didn't want her fucking a younger, hotter guy. No. So Cecil was an aviator who had been preparing for some kind of airplane race that okay. he was doing, and she suggested that her uncle may have tampered with his plane, like the engine, before he took off. Oh shit. Lois told police, "I can't help but connect the accident with my brother's death." She claimed that Robert had also tried to persuade her to take a life insurance policy out on her fiance. Yeah, I mean, he's sus. <laughs> That's a pretty um, fair connection mm-hmm. to make. Robert James pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Charles pled guilty but was set to testify for the state against Robert. Meanwhile, Robert was sentenced in the morals charge. Oh. He was given a sentence of. Three to 150 years in prison. Really? For fornicating with his niece. This is a. I feel like they're kind of like giving him the murder charge. I think that's what they must have been doing because that is the weirdest sentence I think I've ever heard. It's kind of like when OJ got that really long sentence for the the robbery. Yes. Because everyone just wanted him in jail for the murder. Mm -hmm. Uh, Damn. Yeah. Next, the doctor who examined Robert ruled him to be sane. He did say that Robert had a history of rattlesnakes, saying that when Robert was a child, he tried to kill a rattlesnake with a stick, but the stick slipped and the rattlesnake ended up touching him on the face, scarring him for life. So he has a vendetta against rattlesnakes too. Yeah. or He's trying to frame the rattlesnake. (laughs) (laughs) He is. I think he's trying to frame it. He's trying to make rattlesnakes look bad. He was taking down rattlesnakes. Yeah. He's like Batman. Totally. If Batman took down bats. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So not like Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So maybe this is the only example. (laughs) The doctor said, although James's emotional level is dull and unresponsive, he is clearly aware of his situation. I think so. This is a another great uh, example of um, the doctor in these cases saying, look, they're an idiot, but they're fucking competent. Yeah. At the trial, the prosecution introduced witnesses from Colorado to speak to the car accident involving Robert's third wife, Winona. Oh. Remember that? Yeah. The car that careened off the cliff? 
James A. Rogers was the superintendent of the highway in which Winona and Robert were driving on, and he tes- he testified to speaking with Robert right after the crash. Okay. Now, I don't know what a superintendent of a highway is, but it sounds like he was hanging out there doing some something official. Yeah. So he's some guy in a position of authority. According to Rogers, Robert James showed no indication that he had even been in an accident. He's mm. like... That guy doesn't look like he just flew off a cliff. Yeah. He said that Robert claimed his wife was driving the car and that something must have been wrong with the steering gear, so it plunged off a cliff. Robert said he was flown from the car just 50 feet from the top of the embankment while his then-wife was flown way further down with the car. Oh. So he, like, got shit out of the car right before it went off the cliff. And then the wife went down with it. Uh, He said that Robert claimed that he climbed down to his wife and administered first aid or like CPR or whatever before going for help. Rogers said that when he arrived at the spot where the car went off the cliff, he noticed dusty footprints by the side of some tire tracks as if someone had pushed the car off the cliff. Oh. He then said he saw a bloody hammer in the car and that Winona was lying just outside the car and she didn't appear to have had any first aid administered to her. L.A. District Attorney Burton Fitz had sent an investigator to the scene of the crash and said there's no way Robert could have climbed down to the crash car and then climbed back up to get help without tearing his clothes or looking fucked up at all. Yeah. Like, he looked way too clean. Right. Gracie Arnell, a cousin of Winona, testified that when she visited her cousin in the hospital, Robert made a move on her. Oh, my God. This lady, like, just survived this gnarly car crash. He loves nieces. <laughs> or cousins. Oh, cousins. This is yeah. a cousin. She said that Robert tried to kiss her, <gasps> but she turned away. And then he tried it again. He made a move on her in a nearby hotel room. Was he like, I'm sorry, I'm just in grief. <laughs> I'm yeah. not myself. And she was still, the wife's still alive. Gross. She's just fucked up in the hospital. A grocer from Colorado who accompanied Robert with bags of groceries to the cottage where him and Winona were staying testified that he saw the body of Winona. He said that when he was inside the house helping Robert with the groceries, Robert had gone to the bathroom and heard him call for help. He opened the bathroom door to find the body of Winona James naked, lying face up in the water. He said that the tub was half full and that the water was barely covering her face. Her head was at the faucet end of the tub, which was also weird because no one takes a bath that way. No. According to Dr. Gilmore, the coroner in Colorado, he said that Robert called him following his ruling of death by accidental drowning and asked him to slightly change the cause of death. Quote, he wanted it to read, death by accidental drowning with head injuries as a contributory cause. He explained that the insurance policy on his wife's life had a clause preventing collection of double indemnity in a case of accidental drowning. Why do you put the D? (laughs) Indemnity? No, drowning. Why do you put the D? No, it's just drowning, not drowning. I'm sorry, Desi. That's okay. I was like, is that how it's written? No. I, I, you know what? That's how I wrote it by accident. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I was just curious if it was like an old way. No. Okay. Drowning. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. I, it's fine. So I don't know. This is a very interesting clause to me that... The, that they wanted it to be connected to the 
accident. Right, but ac- but accidental. No, I'm saying that the insurance policy had a clause that, like, an accidental death, you'd get this double indemnity, unless it's with drowning for drowning for some reason. Oh, yeah. I don't know why that is. It's almost like, yeah, I have no idea. Maybe they think drowning or swimming's a risky activity, even in a bathtub. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> You don't typically drown in a bathtub. I mean... I have no idea why that is, but he did remember that Robert called him. And the coroner changed the fucking ruling. Right. Just on this husband who's like, can you change it? Yeah. Please. The defense brought two live rattlesnakes to the courtroom as exhibits. The snakes... (laughs) This that seems unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is they're Robert. like hoping for some action. This is Robert's defense team. Oh God! The snakes' names were Lethal and Lightning. <laughs> Their strategy was to prove that the snakes could not have attacked a leg from inside of a box. They're like these snakes would have been coiled up. They didn't have enough room to to like to strike. Yeah, to strike. Then. The defense made Charles Hope lie down on a table and place his foot into a replica box <laughs> to demonstrate that a snake couldn't have bit from that angle. I mean, it does seem weird because it's like they they do strike. Like they need to go back, coil back, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, but I don't know what the box size is. I but. feel bad for this Hope guy. He's like, <laughs> they turn him into an exhibit. Uh, Robert James at that point offered to try and test the theory out, but with re- the snakes actually in the box, he's like, I'll do it with the real snakes. Yeah. And the judge said, absolutely not. I will not have my courtroom be turned into a circus. But unfortunately, the courtroom would turn into a circus Uh-oh. because one of the snakes got loose <gasps> during the trial. You knew it was going to happen. This was a... Bad idea waiting to happen. Wait, was it lethal? <laughs> it was lethal. <laughs> that's, liter- that's the one it, you don't want out. <laughs> it literally was lethal who got loose during, scarier. during the trial and started slithering all around the courtroom and everyone was freaking out. Yeah. One of the snake handlers was holding him and then he, whoop, he just slipped out of his hands. Oh my god! He went under a bookcase. He went up into the one of the chairs. Like he, he was all. This guy was all over the place. Yeah. And it took them a while. Finally, they got a wastebasket. Oh, over the snake. But then he slipped out of the wastebasket. <gasps> so they had to get like that snake lasso thing. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I do. So they finally got lethal, and he he didn't hurt anyone, fortunately. But it was definitely an exciting day. Well, it, and he's like, I'm not a killer. I just want to have See, fun. I was I could have killed all of you. He behaved himself. Yeah. A fight broke out in the courtroom. Oh my. Also, as the trial neared its end, Robert James's defense attorney, William Clark, called the DA's investigator, Jack Southhard, a willful perjurer during his <sighs> closing arguments. He didn't like that. No. During a recess, Southhard said to Clark. You're the lowest person I've come across. And if you were younger, I'd call you outside in the hallway. Wow. I don't even know what that means. But he was pissed. <laughs> he was pissed that So he, he's probably like, I can't punch you because you're old, right? Yeah, maybe that's yeah. that's what it, oh that's a that's harsh. Yeah. He's like, you old fuck. You old fart. If I fucking punch you, you'd probably die. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Clark, the defense attorney, responded, if that Jack Southard comes back to court tomorrow, they'll carry him out feet first. Whoa. Spectators rush to pry the men apart. And Judge Frick, meanwhile, is sitting at his chair, shuffling papers, going, gentlemen, gentlemen. Very He's calm. Like, Bring back the snake. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just wants to go home at this point. Absolutely. He's had enough of this trial. What a what a shenanigan. <laughs> so then Clark, the defense attorney, keeps yelling. He says, You keep that South Hard out of the courtroom. I'm gonna have a gun tomorrow and protect myself. I'm gonna kill him. Seems like a bad thing to admit in open court. <laughs> Right? I don't know how this guy didn't like get held in contempt. Maybe because it was during I mean, a recess. As bad as the justice system is now, it really was like the Wild West for far too long. Yeah. Like <laughs> up until like the 50s, you could almost do anything. Yeah. Like it's crazy. You bring live snakes yeah. to court <laughs> and have some Yahoo handling them. Oh my God. I mean, it, it, seriously. It's kind of like, wow, our trials are pretty boring most for the most part. Like there's, you know, very you, few interesting tri- trials where wild shit happens. Dude, they were wild back in the day. Yeah. Clark continued shouting before he was eventually convinced to calm down. Like a friend was like, "Come on, dude. This Come is on. embarrassing. You're 70." Yeah. You don't have to prove anything. We, you've been a great defense attorney for 40 years now. Yeah. Please calm down. The reason that Clark called Southard a perjurer during his closing arguments was because Southard had claimed that Robert James received no unjust treatment from the police during his interrogation. Oh. But that wasn't true. Look, just because Robert James is a, might be a piece of shit, yeah. these cops were very shitty and uh, definitely... Uh, like beat him up during his interrogation. Okay. And also he was sleep deprived and right. it was a very long, rigorous interrogation session. Yes. So he, his Robert, confession was sort of, it was probably coerced. Yeah. I mean, it, not, even if it's accurate, I don't know if it was like coerced in that he just gave up completely false information or he finally gave in. Or he finally gave in. But regardless of the situation, the cops did not act lawfully. Yeah. Uh, judging by the information I read, Robert James did have signs of bruising following this interrogation. Clark also asserted in his closing arguments that Charles Hope was solely responsible for the murder of Mary James. He wanted to exclude his, obviously wanted to exclude his client. Yeah. Completely. And he placed the blame on Charles Hope, who had already. Uh, pled guilty for a lesser sentence. Robert James was found guilty of murdering his wife, Mary. Sentencing would be delayed, but he was facing death by hanging. (gasps) Now, something interesting about about this death by hanging, they, they got rid of it, death by hanging in 1938, or they got rid of it basically, it was around 1938, but Robert's crime was committed in 1935 so even if it took a while yeah with appeals and stuff he was still eligible for that they would still carry it out no matter how long he was on death row a few weeks after the verdict a suspicious package wrapped in newspaper was sent to robert at the county jail whoa Inside the package were two 14-inch hacksaw blades believed to have been sent for the purpose of escaping a note was attached to the package that read, Dearest, if you can make it, 
Come see me, sure. It was signed, Grace. The Grace in question was Grace Hagar, who was then grilled about the package. And this poor woman was horrified. She's like, I don't even know who this guy is. Yeah. I've never met this guy. I've never, I have no contact with him. I didn't send this package. She believed she was the victim of a cruel prank from a neighbor that she had beef with. (laughs) (laughs) That is the best prank. Oh my God, Jesse. Well, it's pretty harmless. (laughs) Well, not if she gets interrogated by the cops. It's a pretty, um, it's a pretty, that is that neighbor, that neighbor fucking hated her. Like, what did she do? How do you even think of that? That is devious. It's elaborate. So Grace is like freaking out. She's trying to convince the cops like, no, it's my neighbor. My fucking neighbor hates me. I want that Hollywood crime scene story. (laughs) That's an episode. Honestly, I should look into this feud. Oh my God. This feud is incredible. So she proved that it was the neighbor because she produced a threatening letter that the neighbor had written to her a year ago. Oh. And it matched the handwriting on the package. Like, right. yeah. And they also... I like how barely she how she tried so little. She's like, dear, love great. <laughs> it's just like, it wasn't even overly done. It's it was like, just get like, this woman arrested and yeah. trash her reputation. And she like signs her name. Grace. Yeah. Robert James was eventually sentenced to death by hanging. His lawyers did try desperately to appeal that. It would be years before his sentence was carried out. Robert got really into Jesus while he waited for death in San Quentin. And in 1942, Robert James met his end, making him the last person to be hanged in California. The Los Angeles Times reported on Robert's neatly dressed appearance at the gallows. Quote, His appearance, almost boyish, gave the impression that he had been interrupted by his executioners while dressing for a dance. Then came the black hood and the noose. Then the spring of the trap. And that's the story of Rattlesnake James. Rattlesnake James. There's lots of great pictures from this. Oh, good. I mean, the newspaper... This was a media sensation yeah when it came out it was in the news every single day and they also took a lot of pictures like they there's a lot of pictures from the paper there's even a picture of charles hope being forced to put his foot in the box during the trial oh my god um they really got pictures of everything yeah Uh, i can't wait to see them yeah i'll post them on our instagram that's crazy how did you find this one i had had it sort of tucked away in my back pocket for a oh, while. Okay. And then I remembered it this past week. Right. And I was like, perfect. That's yeah. a one episode. Right. Wow. I wonder what happened to Lois. <laughs> I'd go into hiding if I were her. I'd be so embarrassed. <laughs> was he attractive? I'm no, guessing not. I don't think so. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Um, um, not that that. Kind of looked like Howdy Doody. <laughs> oh, right. Because he was red haired. Yeah. Not that you can't be hot with a redhead. Yeah, Desi's you're shaming redheads when you are one. There's hot redhead. There's lots of hot redhead guys. He's just totally. not a hot But you redhead. can either be hot or, or howdy doody. And he's howdy yeah, doody. Yeah, he's howdy doody. Uh, interesting. I didn't know that story at all. Yeah. Which is, I'm surprised that I didn't hear about it just from the hanging aspect. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I, there's a lot of those uh, cases like, it was like the last woman who was killed in the gas chamber or like whatever. You kind right. of heard those statistics. No, at that time it, it seemed like the gas t- 
technology had like just come out right around the time of his trial. Yeah. So that was like the new the method. New, the new method. Uh, no, it's weird how it kind of shifts the methods. Like it's the all, electric chair and then now it's all like whatever. Injection. injection. It's all barbaric. Yeah, I'm against the death penalty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, okay, so we're going to record our after show and... We'll see you for the mini episode. Bye. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.